Hello, I'm Bob Welch, and this is a special edition of Bob's World. Irene, all you need to do is say that name, and those who lived through that hurricane-turned-tropical storm in late August 2011 will have a torrent of memories. This podcast will be presented in two episodes, with two parts to each one. That is, to facilitate busy schedules. Keep in mind, here in Vermont, it's not just Labor Day weekend, it's also the Champlain Valley Fair going on, and that is a large media event for my former colleagues in broadcast. There is also a Northfield Labor Day parade that is going on. They need to relax after doing their jobs. After all, they are just devoting their time to this. We're not paying them. On this edition, you'll hear next from two talented broadcasters who were on the air during Tropical Storm Irene 10 years ago. Meteorologist Steve Glacier, who you saw on Burlington, Vermont, ABC affiliate WVNY22 and Fox affiliate WFFF44. In the broadcast biz, they call that a duopoly. The same company owns two major network affiliates. Eric Michaels also will be here. You heard him on WDEV Radio for many, many years, and he contributes his thoughts as well. This special edition of Bob's World, Irene, 10 years later, is next. To begin this program, I wanted to bring in a meteorologist who was in service to Vermont at the time, meteorologist Steve Glazier was at Fox 44 and ABC 22 in Burlington 10 years ago. He now has a national audience on the video streaming service Weather Nation. He's now based in Denver. In between, he worked in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's pretty obvious that Floridians get plenty of tropical storms and hurricanes. Vermonters, not so much. Given he worked in Florida after working in Vermont, I wanted to know from his perspective what the difference is between an intense tropical storm hitting Florida versus Vermont. I brought up the obvious difference between Florida's relatively flat landscape compared with northern New England's hills, mountains, and valleys. Two things made it kind of tough for the northern New England area, for Irene in particular, and, and one of them is the um, infrequency of storms. We don't get it too often uh, for Vermont, New Hampshire, New York, upstate New York, northern New England. So we don't have much to rely on. You know, we've had some his, uh, historical hurricanes and some flooding events from 1927, hurricane in 1938. Uh, but these kind of the bigger events kind of seem to be generational or perhaps every couple to few decades. So it's not too much. There's not too much to rely on to learn from. And then also um, all that rain, all that tropical moisture that moves up and it gets pulled out, like you mentioned, over the hills of Vermont, uh, over the hills of New Hampshire, northern New York, Maine, uh, it gets very hilly. And these few thousand foot peaks, they, they just uh, they can just really wring out the moisture. And um, and especially leading up to that event in particular, there was a lot of rain beforehand. Anyways, there was a very wet soil. So it made it all all very tough for the end user, too. I mean, people that live there, they don't have to experience the hurricanes too much. So, again, it makes it tougher to prepare for it. And uh, and then all that uh, all that rain also makes it very tough. And then whereas in Florida, you know, the, the actual or at least in Gulf Coast region, southeast, you know, usually the soils can absorb a lot more water than than the uh, than the hilly terrain of northern New England. Most people, when they think of Irene, think of all that rain and the power of that rain. But Steve Glacier reminds us how wet 2011 was. While I was researching this, I bumped into a Memorial Day weekend storm that year that Irene kind of overshadowed after it hit. There were four to seven inches of rain outside the Champlain Valley. 
especially four to seven inches of rain, spine of the Green Mountains in southeast Vermont. Fell in a short amount of time, and some spots had those those local amounts of seven, eight inches, which again, you say four to seven inches, sometimes might not sound like much, but boy, in uh, a short amount of time. And it was wet leading up to it too. It was interesting from the meteorological perspective, uh, Burlington had its wettest April on record and then second wettest May on record. And if you recall earlier in the year, Lake Champlain hit a record high of somewhere 103 feet or so for the record uh, lake level. Uh, so it was already a wet spring, dried out a little bit in the summer in the Champlain Valley, but kind of stayed wet in southeast Vermont over the New Hampshire border, which didn't uh, didn't bode well for an incoming tropical storm to drop four to seven inches of rain. From the standpoint of how the storm affected him personally, Steve Glacier considers himself lucky. His place didn't get hit all that hard, but he does talk about helping a colleague. He didn't have any particular family that was that was impacted, and neither were we. On the other hand, since we're working a local market in Burlington, there were some air folks that lived outside of the Burlington area that uh, worked at the station that had gotten impacted. For instance, there was a photographer named Steve, and he lived in Waterbury. And I remember going after the storm to his house, I believe it was like the next day. The degrees of separation in the Vermont broadcasting business are few. I was able to guess the last name of the Steve he was referring to. It was a gentleman who'd also been a WDEV account executive in the days gone by when I also worked there. So I went to Steve Longchamp's house uh, the day or two after Irene, and the water had gone way up in his house. I mean, probably three to four feet. You could see where the water marks were, and, and we just started just trying to gut the house of anything that was soggy before any mold developed or anything, just to try to air things out, dry things out, and get a huge dumpster outside. And that, I was glad I did that because, you know, I wanted to help my friend and coworker out, but also just to, you know, experience um, what some other people had gone through in terms of their personal property. At that point, I wished meteorologist Steve Glacier all the best out in Colorado at Weather Nation and thanked him for taking the time on what was Tuesday, August the 31st, when we spoke. And just two days earlier, after all, he was covering Ida and pulled down an all-nighter as it slammed into Louisiana. All right, thank you, too. If you need anything else, let me know. Okay, I will. I thought... Next, why not ring up the former colleague of both meteorologist Steve Glazier and myself, the other Steve, Steve Longchamp. He's still a videographer for what's now called Local 44 WFFF and Local 22 WVNY, which are still the Fox and ABC affiliates in Burlington serving Vermont. However, he's a busy guy because he's paid to follow other busy people like the governor when he holds his weekly COVID press conferences and the uh, this past week he was assigned to the Champlain Valley Fair so we'll catch up with him on the next edition up next Eric Michaels who helped hold down the fort with the WDEV team during Irene 10 years ago this is Bob's world if you worry your friend may be struggling remember you don't have to be there to be there you could say how are you or get a fake tattoo. You could ask with an app if it works for you. You could write him a text or knit him a sweater. If you can't be together, you could write him a letter. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever.
Chat on the game, kick off your flip flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. However, you do it, you gotta ask a friend. And if they don't share, you can ask again. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at seizetheawkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation. For many Vermonters, he's the voice of It's Going to Be Okay. After all, for a good 30 years, Eric Michaels was the managing editor for Radio Vermont News and WDEV, and it was his voice coming out of the radio for a variety of major news events through that time. Among them, Tropical Storm Irene 10 years ago, the subject of this podcast. I suspected lots of things would come to his mind when I mentioned that storm as we got to talking on the phone. Full disclosure, this was recorded on Monday, August the 30th. Eric had no idea as he was on the phone with me that Philadelphia and New York City would get hit the way they would just a few days later with all that rain they got. But we definitely feel your pain. Oh, absolutely. And especially following what's happening with... uh with Ida and uh, with Henri that, you know, went through just a short time ago. I mean, we know what it's like to experience something like this. So even, you know, um, it was so devastating for Vermont. And yet you look at the, at the magnitude uh, of some of these events in Help and Elsewhere, and you realize in some ways uh, we've been spared for many, many years because of where we're located. While Vermonters are used to rolling with weather's punches when it comes to everything that Mother Nature dishes out, most of it in the winter, Irene was certainly the big one. Yeah, well, pretty much all storm systems across North America exit through New England, so sooner or later, you know, it carries uh, something that's very significant. In fact, I'm sure we're going to see uh, some of the remnants of, uh, of Ida as it pushes up to the Ohio River Valley and heads towards the eastern seaboard. Much of it's probably going to be south of us, but hey, We've seen it come north before, but uh, it is sobering, uh, especially with the, you know, with the with the tenth anniversary of of Irene, um, and and how that came through, you know, in the middle of the night on that on that Sunday night ten years ago, um, and so many of us were just devastated by the news coming into to our operations center that I was working out of that night. Uh, to keep people informed, and frankly, it was the people that were keeping us informed so much uh, so we could keep track of what was happening across the state. Eric spoke of a moment on the Friday morning before the storm and a conversation, though I'd worked with him for many years, that I had not heard before with the station's meteorologist. Yeah, it was interesting. At least we had um, our forecaster, Roger Hill, um, on the Friday morning, his last his last update at uh, like 10 minutes after 8 o'clock, and I got off the air at 9. And my first thing when I got off the air from the newsroom to go directly to my office, and I picked up my phone and I called Roger, and I said, I felt like you were holding something back. And then he explained to me what he thought was going to happen. He says, do you keep talking about the winds because it's a hurricane? And he says, that's not the issue. The issue is that the, uh, the forecast for rain had been increased up to 8 inches. And he says, you know, when you're down in Florida and you get eight inches of water, pretty much everybody's walking around in ankle-deep water. But in the terrain that we live, let's say you get eight inches 
at 3,000 feet up near the peaks of the mountain. Well, that water starts coming downhill. And by the time you get halfway down the mill, the hill, 3,000 feet, now you get more like three feet of water. And when you get to the valley floor, he was saying, heck, eight inches, that could translate into something like 15, 20 feet. Just so imagine a wall of water 20 feet deep racing down a valley floor. And so we, we immediately went into action to make sure we had at least the resources to keep our power on because we knew that was probably going to be one of the first things to go. And luckily because we, we had the relationships with a, a generator company, we got the last portable generator, which is only a 6,000-watt generator, Bob, which is not that powerful. Uh, but we said, okay, that's what we have to use. We're going to figure out some way uh, to keep the station on the air with just six kilowatts of power. Some of you know Eric and I have met before. We certainly have. I worked at WDEV between the years of 2002 and 08, and again between 2011 and 2016. My second stay at the station began two months after Irene, and in my job interview, he mentioned the challenges with the generator, but not in the detail that we'll hear next as I had recalled his story to me back then of needing to power down the generator every three hours. Well, actually, Bob, the first time, because we had uh, been told what to expect for the capacity of that generator, of course, we are kind of pushing it to the maximum, too. Uh, but we thought we had more like six hours. And after about four and a half, we're right in the middle of the coverage, and all of a sudden the lights flickered. And the generator went out. We knew that there had to be a, a, a power loss because of the way the the, uh, the the way the thing cycled down, which is by the way not very good for equipment. But um, yeah, uh, my colleague Tom Beardsley and I, so we ran downstairs, went outdoors because of course the generator has to operate outside. And uh, I'm holding a flashlight and an umbrella, and Tom Beardsley has got a gas can. He opens up the gas tank, and we're refueling a hot generator now. That's also not highly recommended, but the thing was we needed to get back on the air as quickly as possible. So as quickly and yet as carefully as he could, uh, he killed the, uh, the generator and the thing fired back up. And, of course, it only had two 110 outlets. So we had to run everything off two extension cords, one plugged into each of the two outlets, and that uh, circled through the building up a staircase, there was essentially like three flights of stairs, and then into the studio operation. So it was, it was sort of like yellow spaghetti night that night. Then comes the reality of what was to unfold hour by hour. I remember Eric telling me he gave out his personal cell phone number on the air during the storm, and yet not a single person bothered him after the storm. The phone number he gave out that night was the same one that I called for this interview. That's the level of decency among the Vermont audience. It was um, a very tense situation. Um, of course, Vermont Emergency Management was right around the corner, down the street. Uh, the Waterbury Town Manager, Bill Sheplett, was the only really public official that made his way live to the studio. Excuse me, we interviewed him several times in that evening, and it went to... We're hoping things will be okay, To We're thinking about what we need to do if we need to evacuate um, part of town. And then it became more and more um, obvious as uh, the Winooski River continued to rise. Um, and then we got 
first word that the state complex was being inundated. And that meant that uh, emergency management, they had a bug out. They went up to their, I believe, their backup headquarters at the Williston um, uh, State Police barracks. And uh, pretty much we realized that we're just an island left here. And we had no cable. Uh, we had no commercial power. Um, we have we lost our phone service uh, at that point as well. So we couldn't talk to listeners who had been so good about keeping us informed. And I looked down to my iPhone, and I had only updated to an iPhone about three weeks before this happened. And I'm looking at it like, you know, this thing is just a brick. And I realized... I still had bars, and I was wondering maybe people could text me. Now, I had only a little bit of experience texting because I never had a phone with that capability until a couple of weeks before Irene came through. And so I mentioned on the air, I, I didn't have to think about it, giving them my personal number, but it was like, this is the only way that maybe we can keep getting information. I didn't get the, the phone number out of my mouth, Bob, before the thing starts ringing. It, it was like a a, like a, a pinball machine going off. It was just dinging. That one of the texts I got is, turn off your ringer. But yeah, I, I should have thought about that in advance. But that became an incredible link for a couple of hours. That was the only way we had information coming in. People would text me. And I tried to keep up just by reading the text to our listeners on the air to keep them informed. It was, it was an amazing response from our listeners that made the whole coverage real and we got the best real-time information, not from an official source, only from our listeners. They, that night, they were our official source of information about Tropical Storm Irene. And those particular phone calls do stand out all these years later. I think probably one of the uh, phone calls we received before we lost phone call uh, capability. Uh, came from uh, the Stockbridge area. Now, if anybody familiar in Vermont with Stockbridge, down on Route 107, it has a bridge on the north side of town and a bridge on the south side of town. And we had learned that both bridges had essentially been either undermined or washed out completely. And the town is now an island. No way to get on or off, no way to get in and out. And there was a lot of concern about how much higher that river was going to uh, to rise. And so we knew we had a life-threatening situation there. And then a very short time later, I got a call from uh, somebody in the Mad River Valley uh, reporting that they saw hay bales floating down the Mad River. And then a short time after that, they said caskets are floating down, which uh. had meant obviously a cemetery had been undermined. Uh, the caskets had been um, Floated by the, by the onrushing water and taken downstream. And then we, we reports out of Northfield about the old, I think it was in, was it in Montana Dam or something. It was running a Dean Chevrolet. Anyway, that, that little dam has been in place uh, apparently for ages and ages. And uh, we found out the Dog River was so bad that that had been pretty much washed over at the same time. So these reports coming in were stark evidence about the uh, incredible damage. And we knew it was all heading, frankly, in our direction, Bob, the, the Mad River, the, the Dog River, all empty into the Winooski. And then we had the reports that Marshfield uh, Dam up there, uh, the, the reservoir in Marshfield, that the uh, earthen dam there was topped out. 
And they did not want to have water cross the dam because I think it could have started a chain reaction and just cut the dam in half and releasing all that water. So they were almost going to be forced to the situation of voluntarily reducing the water level. And all that would have done is sent more water rushing through Montpelier down to Waterbury and on its way to Lake Champlain. Luckily, even though it took us a while to get some accurate information, they held off to the last minute and then realized the water level was, was, had peaked out and it started to recede, and they didn't have to add to the situation. But if they had had to release water, Bob, from, a, from that Marshfield Dam, I can't tell you how much worse it could have been downstream. An established presence in the community makes all the difference when the big moments come. The big moments are made by the everyday moments that build the audience and when you've really made a connection, they want to raise their hand. Yeah, and luckily we had um, um, a team that had done all kinds of different coverage together, from you know town meeting and election coverage, and we've had numerous other situations. People forget a little bit that uh, in May of 2011, just a couple months before our ring came through, we had severe uh, spring flooding in Lake Champlain that got over its... Uh, over its banks and caused a huge problem for uh, people along Lake Champlain and Richel River. They opened that up as much as possible to, to try and back off the water level in Lake Champlain. So a lot of the areas were still recovering from that. And just a few days before Irene, there was the, uh, the big northeast earthquake. Remember that? That happened around Virginia and it shook all the way up here. That's the one that uh, cracked the Washington Monument. And they had to close that monument down for a period of time. So it seemed like every other day we're up in the newsroom covering some other major event in 2011. The age-old question that the inquisitive listener and broadcaster might ask, how do you keep it together when someone is telling you something extremely distressing or asks a painful question that you really don't know the answer to? Well, it's something to experience that, um, and you just, once you're into that kind of coverage, uh, all you're trying to do is to hang on. Uh, you try to verify information as best as possible. And I think that's one of the real challenges uh, when, you know, your regular sources, your government sources, uh, your law enforcement sources, uh, essentially some of them provided information through the informal channels. But we had no access to, let's say, the official line of information. So we just had to do the best we could uh, with the resources at our disposal. And again, I can't thank the listeners uh, that were tuned in that night. Some of the stories, Bob, were so emotional. I remember as the storm went north, the, the issues moved from the Madura Valley up into Moyle County. And I remember somebody who lives uh, up near the Oxbow in Morrisville. And this is like 12:30 in the morning, saying, "Can I, can I tell my family to go to bed? Will it be safe? Will I wake up floating in the river if I go to bed now?" And it's like, how do you answer that question? I brought Eric on not just because he was the guy who was on the air, but because he's the guy with whom you can respect for judgment and advice. Well, you could tell that people were just so reliant; they were so desperate. Uh, to have guidance, to have information. And I think there's a real lesson there uh, for anybody in communications. And I don't care if it's 
you know, social media uh, or broadcasting. Um, during a crisis, people need reassurance. They don't need um, they don't need PR. They don't need propaganda. They need real, valuable, honest information. Even if it's bad, they can handle it. But they have to know it's it's honest. You know what I mean? The moral to Irene and any natural disaster that we can leave with is the fact that amid the cynicism and name-calling out there that you see aplenty, ordinary people rose to the moment to help total strangers after the storm passed. Well, it is, but I think part of it, too, is um, when a friend tells you something, that's a lot different than just reading a text or, or reading it in the newspaper or, you know what I mean? There's There's a... A reality to it, uh, and there's something about the human voice uh, relaying information uh, that can be, I think, very reassuring. Uh, because you know that's one of the things you you try and do over years, even with a podcast. You you're trying to develop a relationship uh, with the audience, uh, a trust factor with the audience. They get to know you. They know when your voice is um, unsure because they can tell you're dealing with something that's, uh, that you don't know exactly how to deal with. I mean, you can't hide, you can't really hide your emotions with your voice. You know, you can stand there at the podium and, you know, pretend I'm looking uh, official and stuff like that. But people, when they're focused not on what uh, you're saying because they're looking at you, but just because they're listening to you, they're very critical and they really hear things that you don't think they hear. They know. I mean, you can't, like I said, Bob, you just, you can't hide it. The other thing, it's one thing about being in the middle of the storm. The true story and the amazing thing about Irene is how quickly people in Waterbury, people in Northfield, people in the Valley, people everywhere came out, even if they didn't know uh, they, they drive by, they see somebody trying to muck out a basement. They get out with their good shoes on, didn't care, grabbed the shovel, and started helping. They didn't want anything in return. They didn't ask any questions. People out of nowhere showed up, provided sandwiches and water and whatever people needed. And it was just amazing to see the real sense of community and how much we can really care for each other. And I think that's one of the reassuring um, storylines that came out of Tropical Storm Irene. Eric Michaels, the managing editor for Radio Vermont News and anchor of the morning news service and special events for decades at WDEV. He was also the general manager. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Bob's World, Tropical Storm Irene, 10 years later, with thanks to Eric and to meteorologist Steve Glazier, who we heard earlier. He is now with Weather Nation. On the second part of this retrospective of Tropical Storm Irene, I hope to have stories from longtime news photographers Steve Longchamp and Brett Curtis, whose day job is with the Vermont Agency of Transportation. You may recognize his voice more from high school basketball games in the winter on WDEV. Those stories I hope to have next time. I'm Bob Welch. Good luck and be well.